Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Again, um, it's good to be with you today. And uh, today we're going to begin our uh, series, uh, uh, Easter Anthology. But before I begin... I just want to remind again, because we tend to forget, and every three, four weeks, I'm going to remind you, I'll say the same thing I'm going to say today, three, four more weeks, but let me let me share with you um, this. Uh, we just ask you, when you're on campus here, in here, lobby, out there, wear your mask, please, wear your mask. And I know it's easy to start letting up on these things, but wear your mask, and uh, let, me, let me just share you what my perspective is on this, so that you understand where I'm coming from. I don't say that just to say it, but um, well, let me tell you first and foremost, I can't stand wearing the mask. Anybody with me on that one? I, I just really can't stand it. I, I, I despise it. I hate it. Uh, it fogs my glasses up. I'm talking to people. I can't even see them anymore. I don't even know if they're still there. It's all fogged up. And, but I mean, I go to the gym and I got to wear a mask, but you know, I wear the mask. Let me tell you why I wear the mask. Um, I wear the mask because <clears throat> nowhere in the Bible does it tell me to wear a mask or not wear a mask? And if you found that, please let me know, okay? You found that first. But it's not in there. So what do I do when there's a gray area? What do I do with these things, you know? Because there's a lot of gray areas in life that the Bible doesn't tell me what to do, but it gives me principles to follow in my life. And the principle that, as a Christian, I think we should be living our lives by is found in, in John chapter 13, around 34 and 35. Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, a new commandment I give to you uh, that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Now that's huge because Jesus lays down love for other people as the primary um, principle, foundation of which we operate from as followers of Christ. And he says, the way he said it was, he goes, um, just as I've loved you. Now, he had loved them already at that point. Said, in, in fact, in that chapter, he loved them to the fullest in the beginning of it. But he was about to show them the greatest demonstration of love uh, that next day when he was going to show them uh, he was going to die on a cross. He was going to lay down his life for everybody else. He was going to give up what he his rights for everybody else. That's what he was going to do, and he did it. By this, all men will you know. By this. you know, And so... He turns to us now and he says, you live this way. And if you live this way, this is how all people will know that you're a follower of Christ. This will be the, the, the moniker. This will be how people will know that you are a believer in Christ. By your choosing to love others and choose their best versus your own. And sometimes choosing someone else's best versus your own doesn't always benefit you. Anybody notice that? Anybody notice that? It's not guaranteeing you a benefit back. It's just saying, love other people, love other people. Now, let me put it in practical application terms of how this works. If somebody comes in here, whether the lobby in here, out there standing around, um, and they're really nervous about if you're not wearing a mask. And by the way, I've watched what COVID can do to somebody I love, my wife. I, you know the story. I carried her to the car. She had nothing left. She was barely breathing. She didn't even remember it. So I know what COVID can do. 11 days, I couldn't see her in the hospital. 11 days. I know somebody in our church right now, maybe watching first or second service, Linda, praise God you're okay. 
Two and a half months you were in the hospital. But some of you have lost people. Lost people. So I know what it does. So why I wear the mask? Because of love. See, I always ask this question when it's not spelled out in the Bible. What does love require of me? If someone comes in, let's take a believer, and they're nervous about somebody not wearing a mask, and they're saying, I'm not going to go back there because they're not wearing the mask. So I'm going to sit there and say, well, I'm just not going to wear the mask, and I'm going to drive them away? Really? Or let's take it a step further. What if a non-believer comes in, and they think we should be wearing masks but we don't, because they're nervous about it, and, uh, and they say, I'm not coming back there. Now I've driven a non-believer away because I'm not going to wear that mask. Really, over a piece of cloth, you're going to drive somebody away. I don't think that's love. An hour and 15 minutes? You know, I'm, I'm a logical thinker. I think if you want to fight the man or fight government, whatever you're fighting, I don't know what it is, then why don't you go out and run every red light? Show them. Just show them, huh? If you want to fight something, fight that. Tell the government you're not going to pay taxes. See what happens on that one, right? Okay? Go ahead. Just go do it. But don't, 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 don't come here and say, I'm, I'm like, just, just do it, okay? Here's what's interesting. In the New Testament, Paul, he makes a statement, and it's in the context of trying to reach people for Jesus. He said, he said, to those under the law, and he gives a lot of statements, but here's one, to those under the law, I'll go under the law, that I might save somebody. In other words, I'll do that, I'll go back under the law, even though I don't, I don't adhere to that. It's not pertaining to me anymore. But I'll go back and limit my life and lay down my life and my rights to try to save somebody. Now that's called love. Any amens on that? And that's what he said he would do. And that should be our attitude. Let me tell you what I know about Satan. Satan is always trying to get us to go this way and this way and fight over these issues. Anybody ever notice that? And then what happens is his goal is that we forget about the main mission. The mission is not the mask. The mission is salvation. Any amens? The mission is reaching people. So I'm not going to get caught up in all the side effects. I'm not going to get caught up in somebody's activism, what they're saying, this and that. I'm not. I'm going to get caught up in love. What would love require of me? That is a good discipline for our lives. That it's not just always about us. It's got to be about other people. I lay down my life for other people, and that's what Christianity calls me to do. So, hour and 15 minutes here on the campus, hour and 20 minutes, just wear the mask, okay? You would help me because you would help my staff not having to talk to you about wearing the mask. And then, you know, they've had skirmishes with people out there because people get so angry over a piece of cloth. Just wear it. And it's, I don't think it's going to be forever, okay? So just wear it, all right? Like I said, I hate it. I hate wearing the mask. But I do it because what would love require me to do? And if that's what love requires of me, I'll wear the mask. No big deal here. I won't see you because my glasses are fogged up, but I'll wear the mask. Okay? <laughs> so here we go. Make sense, though? Make sense? I try to stay biblical because there's too many activists out there, and I listen to them and go, it really sounds good, but it's not biblical. I try to keep my biblical worldview. And I'm not, I don't listen to a lot, a lot of people on Facebook. And I just, I'm not going to get corrupted by that stuff. I put my Bible teachings out there, but that's about what I use it for. Now, today, I'm going to start a series. Um, 
Uh, and today's message, I'm going to tell you, if you're first time here through dedication or whatever, this is different for me. Today's message is really outside my style, and I'll explain to you in a second. But my message title today that begins our Easter anthology is Resurrection Requires Miracles. And miracles require God. Now, you're going to understand in a second what that means. First off, an anthology is a collection of writings or poems that uh, you would, or songs that you put in a one volume or a book or something. Kind of the whole enchilada right there. An enchilada, that sounds good for tonight, right? But anyway, so I'm going to take a collection of things uh, in this series. It's four weeks, actually five messages because of Good Friday. Um, but I'm going to start today with this title because on Easter Sunday, when I get to that message, April 4th, I want to be able to have this back side of it where I've built a foundation so that when I get to this side of it on Easter Sunday, why I believe in the resurrection, I've, I've laid out all the evidence, all the evidence for all these things. So my question I'm going to answer today, I'm going to seek to answer is, is basic. It's that says, is there evidence of a creator of the universe? Is there evidence for these things? Because that's the big debate in, 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 in science circles back and forth on this. Now, <clears throat> the answer that's really important, because like I said, if there's no creator, no God, then there are no miracles. If there's no miracles, then there's no resurrection. But if, but if there is God, then there are miracles, and there is a resurrection. It's just that simple. Now, because today, and I'm worried about today, first service, they all seem to like it, so I'm, I'm feeling better about myself, because I'm a Bible teacher. But today, I'm only going to use three verses. And I'm going to read them at the very beginning. And then I'm going to go into what science says. Because I'm talking to anybody out there that's kind of skeptical. Maybe athe atheist. And I want to give you some evidence, not from us pastors, but from science. Because that's the big thing right now. Science, science, science. And I'm not against science. They say Christians aren't for science. That's so ridiculous. That means like I wouldn't go to the doctor ever. Come on. Let's be realistic. Now, so I'm taking a chance, veering out of my style here. The reason I'm doing this, this message, and then next Sunday I'm going to look at who Jesus is in John chapter 1, dissecting that. But the reason why I'm going this way today is because, one of the reasons, is because you're going to send your kids off to college. And in these, many colleges are going to say, oh no, no, it, it is true. Many of the colleges, in the, in the first so many months, they're going to try to wipe out your kid's belief in God, in Jesus, in the Bible. It's all a bunch of fairy tales. This is all naturalism. There's no supernatural. There's no God. Uh, you know, that's it. They're going to try to wi wipe that out in your kids. And some of you know that for a fact already. Now, it's a proven stat now that I believe it's about 81% of kids that go off to these secular colleges that grew up in church that um, in the first so many months of college they lose their faith in Jesus Christ. They lose it. It's gone. The good news is that two-thirds of the 81% come back to Jesus once they got married and they have kids because they realize, oh my gosh, look at this crazy, crazy world. I want to raise my kids up in God. Any amens on that? But that was also true of us baby boomers. Many of us baby boomers, we left God and we came back once we got married and had kids. Now, we're going to start off with the three verses today and I'm going to read the first two off the screen. Then I'm going to read the last one in my Bible. And these are the only verses I'm going to use because I want to use what science says today to, to see if is there evidence for a creator. So the first one is the very first verse in the entire Bible. There's the Old Testament verse. It's the Jewish 
we'll read the Jewish Bible. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now I want you all to read it with me. All of you, here we go. One, two, three. In? Now heavens and earth are everything. God created everything. That's what it's telling you from the very get-go. Now Psalm 33, 6 says this. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. Read it with me. By the... So God, He spoke everything into existence. Now, Hebrews 11.3, the third verse I'll use today, I'll read it, it's up on the screen too. It says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So God created everything out of nothing. Let's read it all together. By faith... Now, the Bible is a very logical book in many senses because it says God spoke things into existence by the Word of God. And in John 1, as we'll see next week, it says Jesus is the Word. And so the Word, in Genesis 1, He speaks everything into existence. So it makes perfect sense as we find out next week that Jesus is the Creator of all things. All things were made through Him. Now, where I tapped into this whole idea of the evidence for the creation of the universe by a creator? Is there evidence for the resurrection, all these things? Um, I was always very strong in looking at the evidence for dinosaurs and, ev and evolution and things like that. It always fascinated me that, and I won't go into that, so I was always very strong in those areas. But this is an area that I was weak in, and I don't know why I decided to, I don't know what it was, but I decided to start studying about three to four years ago, I'm going down this road. And if you've listened to me, especially in the last couple of years, I've really gone down this road in messages here and there. I've done that. But um, I decided I need to know the evidence for, is there evidence of a creator of the universe? Is there evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And there is. There is for all of it. Now, if you run into somebody, and by the way, that's why I tell you, don't listen to bloggers. Don't go on social media. Please, they're not scientists. They're not scholars. They never had any papers uh, printed and period nothing nothing like that so don't listen to somebody who's just angry out there go with the evidence now one of the and I've, I have a lot of books on these subjects but one book that I really think and I'm going to share it with you that if you're interested in this it covers a, a plethora of things and that is and I would get it and I'd have your high school kid read it or take it to college with them or something but I would read it too and this is one by it's called I do not have enough faith I don't have enough faith to be an atheist by Frank Turk I don't have enough faith to be an atheist by Frank Turk. I would encourage you to buy this book. It has a lot in there. It's scientific. Some of it you'd be going, oh my gosh. And I'm something I go, oh my gosh, it's too deep for me. But it's a really, really good beginning book that covers a lot of things. But um, I'm just sharing with that so that you'll be able to defend some things because it's going to come at you and your kids might come at you if, they're, if their heads are, are turned by, by college. Now, here we go. And by the way, Frank Turk, the author... I wanted to bring him here last year. I was looking at him in 2019 for 2020, and then, of course, the pandemic and everything. Couldn't do anything. So hopefully in the future, I'll try to get him out here. Now, first image, please. Handsome guy. Isn't he handsome? <laughs> Question, who is this guy? It's Einstein. That's right, Albert Einstein. Now, um, Albert Einstein. I want to begin with him because he has the theory of relativity. That was his theory. He said, in this theory of relativity, what he found was there was a definite beginning to the universe. 
In his theory of relativity, there was a definite moment when time, space, and matter all began. That was an important thing because it went against the idea which was believed that the universe was eternal, that it always was. Now, this scientist, this brilliant man, discovers, no, it had a beginning. Let me tell you what he thought about his discovery. It irritated him. It irritated him because he liked the idea of the universe being eternal. It just always was. He didn't want to accept what he found. And then around 1929, Mount Wilson, this guy, have you ever heard of the Hubble telescope? Well, this is Edwin Hubble. He's the guy who they named it after. So uh, Einstein goes to Mount Wilson out here with Edwin Hubble, and he looks in Hubble's telescope here at Mount Wilson, and what he sees, and he sees irrefutable evidence that the universe, our universe, was indeed expanding as his general rule of relativity, Einstein's rule of relativity, had predicted that this universe had a beginning and it's expanding out. It's not eternal. It had a beginning. In other words, call it whatever you want, call it the Big Bang, call it the Sideways Bang, I don't know, whatever you want. But it had a moment in time where it began. This is what we call the cosmological argument. And the argument is this, everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. I want you to say this thing with me, everybody say it, here we go. Everything had a cause. The universe, therefore, it's the cosmological or design argument. Now, I'm going to expand on this, I'm only going to give you three, and then a, another one when it's in a point uh, evidence says that there's evidence that this thing was created by, by a creator or by something, this universe. Now, this is science. This is not Jim Del Campo. This is not the Bible. I'm just giving you science and what scientists have found. Okay? So you can debate, oh, it's just because you're a Christian. No, these are scientists. Now, the first thing they found is the universe is running out of usable energy. Now, why is it a big deal? How does this prove the universe had a beginning? Well, it proves that um, this is, there's a finite amount of energy in the universe, not infinite, it's not eternal. Let me put it to you this way. I want to say this right. How many drove here in a car? How many have gas in that car? Well, let's pretend that your car is eternal. It always was. And that means... Go back as far as you can imagine and then add about 10 trillion zillion years to that. If your car had a tank of gas way, 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 way back and it ran, engines on, from the moment way, way back, would it still be running now? Would it still be running now? No, it wouldn't. It would have run out of gas, correct? That's the same thing with our universe right now. It only has a certain amount of usable energy. It if, it, if the universe was eternal, it would have run out. It, it would be gone. This is known as the second law of thermodynamics, or we call it the law of entropy. Things are moving from order to disorder. And that means if it start, if some it move from order to disorder, the question then is this. At the moment it began, who ordered it? Who put it in place? Where did the original order come from that gave it order and now it's running out of usable energy? Astronomer Robert Jastrow, he's, he compares it to a wind-up clock. This is an astronomer, he's a brilliant guy. He said this. If a wind-up clock is running down, then someone must have wound it up. 
Read that with me. If a... Somebody wound it up. So if the universe had a beginning, there was a moment in time, it's not eternal, it would have, it's running, it's, if it was eternal, it would have run out of usable energy by now, but it hasn't. But it had a definite moment at a beginning. The cosmological argument uh, goes with that. Now, the second thing I want to share with you, building upon this, is the universe is expanding. Now, this is a big deal. Because remember the astronomer, the second image I showed you of Edwin Hubble, of the uh, Hubble telescope, remember that? Say amen. Here's what he found. He looks in his telescope one day, Edwin Hubble, and he found that the universe, yes, it is expanding, but it's expanding from a single point. In other words, there was a moment, there was that single point where it began, cosmological argument. Anything had a beginning was caused, the universe had a beginning, therefore it was caused. Now, how does an expanding universe prove a beginning? How does it prove there was a moment in time when something kick-started this thing? Let me put it to you this way. And this is just a mind-blower to me. How many of you still have VHS cartridges? Okay, we want to take names on that one right there. Okay. No, I still have some VHS. I just don't have a VHS player anymore. You know, how many still have an 8-track player? How many? Yeah, it's in the garage. We know that, right? And you carry a piece of cardboard with it sticking the side there? Okay, good. Um, I just aged myself right there. But If you had a VHS of the entire history of the universe, but in reverse, and you could watch all the way back in time to the moment it began, what you would find on that VHS is this, that all matter would collapse down to a point. Not the size of a bowling ball, not the size of a ping pong ball, not the size of a pinhead, but it would collapse all the way down mathematically and logically to what? To what? Nothing. Can you imagine everything we see, everything in the universe collapse all the way down to nothing? No matter, no time, and no space. Once there was nothing, guys. Is that a mind blower? Once there was nothing, and all of a sudden, boom, and here we go. Isn't that crazy? Something kick-started. Something gave it the beginning. Now, <clears throat> here's what blew my mind as I studied these things. Because I had thought these thoughts before, but I never had answers. It was just a thought in my head, and I, my thought was wrong. The universe is not expanding into empty space out there. I always would think like, I wonder what's on the other side of the edge of the universe. Everybody ever think that thought? I used to think that thought a lot. It's, there's, there's nothing on the other side. They found. The universe itself, as it expands, it creates space. There's nothing on the other side. It itself creates space. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's crazy. So before the universe, there was no space, there was, no, there was nothing until Big Bang or whatever you want to call it, and there it was. I don't remember who said it. I don't know who wrote it, but I remember reading it. But he said something like this. If ever there was a moment when there was nothing, I'm, let me back up, I said it wrong. Without God, if ever there was a moment when there was nothing, there still should be nothing. Nothing. No. Nothing. You know they do talks on nothing now? I'm not kidding. Brilliant physicists, they do talks on nothing. But let me tell you about nothing. 
some scientists with a worldview of materialism, naturalism, that there is no God, they say that everything that we see was created out of nothing. Now, how many know that's not even logical in your head? But let me, let me tell you something. In case you ever run into this argument with somebody, if they tell you, well, well, no. Say, it, it, no, the universe created itself out of nothing. Then, then you, you, need to find, you need to know this. That when physicists say that the universe was created out of nothing, nothing's a funny word because guess what? They don't mean nothing when they say nothing. They don't. They don't. They still believe there was something. Stephen Hawking, who's brilliant, one of the most brilliant minds that ever was on this earth. He was confined to the wheelchair. You know, he talked to that gizmo and everything. Brilliant man. But he made this statement. He said, because we have gravity, then the universe could be created from nothing. But what, hear, hear what he said? I have a question with that one. Is gravity something or is it nothing? It's something. See, you got to listen to the, what they say because they don't mean what they say. They still believe there was something. So if you can get them to admit that whatever that's, there's something you mean. When you say nothing, don't you mean there was still something? Yeah, there's still something. Then you ask, then who created that something? They can't answer that question. Because something had to create the something in their minds, but they won't admit that. But it all points to the fact that something created this thing. Something kick-started this whole thing going. Now, fun fact, side note, 1965. Arnold Penzias and Robert Wilson, <clears throat> they detect this strange radiation in their Bell Labs in New Jersey. You know what they detected? This is an amazing thing. One of the most incredible discoveries of the last century, they detected remnant heat from the initial Big Bang or whatever you want to call it. They detected that. They detected the afterglow of the Big Bang, the fireball explosion. They detected that. Heat from the beginning, beginning of the universe, beginning of time. And they won a Nobel Prize for that. Guys, Nobel Prize? That's not a blogger, that's a scientist, okay? And they found these things the moment, the beginning of it all. That's crazy. That's wild. Blows my mind that people even study these things and look for these things. Now, the third thing I want to say is this. There's the great galaxy seeds. Now, put that image up on the screen. Now, I, how many of you are weird like me, but you look up things like the images from the Hubble telescope into the universe? You ever, anybody ever look up those things besides me? One, two, um, raise your hand. I want to know. I want to know who's... who's who's with me on this. I think it's fascinating. I just do. This is one of the images from the Hubble telescope. What you see, many things in that out there, those are galaxies. Not stars. Those are galaxies. Now let me explain to you about galaxies, a few things. In the observable universe, there are about, they say, not, they say, scientists say, there are 125 um, billion galaxies billion in the observable universe now they're saying that there's probably about 2 trillion galaxies in our universe we are in a galaxy right now called the Milky Way galaxy good 
Our galaxy is a smaller galaxy. Did you know that? But our galaxy, if you wanted to go from one end to the other end of our galaxy, it would take you 100,000 light years to go from one end to the other. Let me explain that speed-wise. Light years, it's the amount of distance that light can travel in a year. How fast does light travel? 186,000 miles per second. In one second, light goes around the earth seven and a half times. One second. Our universe is 100,000 light years from one end to the other. How many know that's pretty big? And that's a small one. And I think there's about up to 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. Is our universe huge? It's a massive, massive thing, this universe. Now, here's what's fascinating. This galaxy seed stuff. 1989, they sent a $2 million satellite into space looking for what they called ripples. They found them. And the ripples showed something. It proved something. It proved that the explosion at the moment the universe began and the expansion of this universe was so precisely tweaked to cause just enough matter to congregate to allow galaxy formation. It's called fine-tuning. It's so finely tuned. It's an incredible thing how finely tuned this thing is. But they say, well, the universe was created by a mindless, unguided, random process. It's like, really? They said, and they found, these are scientists, not, not a preacher, just scientists, that these ripples were so precise that any variation either way, and none of us would be here. No galaxy, no us. We wouldn't be here. It's so precise project leader of that astronomer George Smoot called the ripples this on the screen please he called them machining marks from the creation of the universe and the fingerprints of a maker he didn't say God but there's somebody made this thing now I've made my decision I believe it's God Albert Einstein let me shift now back to Albert Einstein he said this and let me read it and then I'm going to tell you why I'm saying, reading it he said science without religion is lame religion without science is blind he makes a good point and let me tell you what he, what he means <clears throat> he's saying that religion our faith can be informed and confirmed by science Oh, some of those first scientists, Kepler, Galileo, Newton, they believed that too. They believed that science and God went together. You know what they say now out there? That you either got to pick science or God. You cannot put the two together. That's what they're telling you now. That doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you why. I've used this illustration before. I'm going to say it again now. I'll say it again in the future because I want you to get this illustration in your head. It's very simple, but it makes sense. I didn't come up with it. I read it. They say science and 
religion, many science of God, they don't, they don't go, you got to separate. You can't have, you got to have one or the other. That's like saying, and here's the illustration, that you have a combustible engine, combustion engine here. And you figure out how that engine works. Once you figure out how the engine works, it's like saying, well, I don't need Henry Ford anymore. Do you need Henry Ford? The answer is what? Yes. You need both. You need the creator and you need the mechanism. You need the agent, you need the mechanism. You need them both. They go together. They're saying you either choose God or creation. God or the mechanism. No. Because they say both can't go together. Oh, yes, they can. You need Henry Ford and you need the engine. You need the creator and you need the mechanism. They go together. I'm going to give another illustration in a bit about that. But let me drive this, this last few thoughts home before I give you it. Let me let me I'm, I'm going to close now. Remember that everything, cosmological argument, everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a, a cause. It's just that simple. I read what these scientists have found, and it points to something created this whole thing. I believe it's God, a creator with a mind that could design and so fine-tune things. Genesis 1.1 tells us that. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I've made my decision. I, I've shared this message that's so unorthodox for me from a purely scientific perspective for the sake of anybody doubting it, leaning towards atheism, skeptic. So you could make a decision that there is evidence for a creator. And that's important because if there is God, then there are miracles. If there are miracles, then there's resurrection. And so as we travel down this road, I just want to say, if you are atheist, if you're a skeptic, and you're here today at home, going to watch this three weeks from now or a year from now, hey, we love you. We're not forcing you to make a decision, but we'll give you an option to make a decision. But I just want to give you the evidence of what is, what is found out today, what scientists have found. It's not my thinking. This is not preaching it away. I'm taking purely science. And, and you can study it for yourself. But study the people who really do these things. Not the blogger who's just angry at God. Don't do that. And they're making all kinds of statements that are incorrect. Now, <clears throat> let me give you another way of looking at this. Um, my wife likes tea. I hate tea. No, literally, I really hate it. If you ever buy me a drink and it's tea and you give it to me, I'll go, hey, thanks a lot. And you walk away, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Just so you know, okay? I'm just being on. I just do not like it. Do not like it. Every time I get a sore throat or some things I have a sore throat, they want to give me tea, I go, don't give me tea. My wife has a pot, a little, it's a pot, you know, the handle pot. And she puts it on the stove regularly. Puts water in it, turns on the flame. Heats it up. Get that water bubbling. She puts her little tea bags in there because she likes tea. I walk by going, Phew. blasphemy right there. Now, 
If we were at my house and that pot was on the stove and water's boiling and someone said, why is that water boiling? Someone might say, well, because of the heat pressing against the bottom of the pot. It's transferring through the pot, hitting the water and all the molecules, they're beginning to bounce around or whatever it is and they get so hot they start to bubble. And that's a... I'm not a scientist, but let's say that's a scientific explanation of that. Is it not? And it is correct, is it not? But it could also be said when it's asked, why is that water boiling? We could say, because my wife wants a cup of tea. Isn't that true also? You have both statements. They're both true. One is a scientific explanation. And what is the creator explanation? She wants a cup of tea. They're both true. It's the same thing with God. You cannot say, well, you've got to choose between God and science. No. The creator, agent, and the mechanism. They go together. They go together. Kepler, Galileo, Newton, all went into science because they believed and they saw that God was a creator and God put certain laws in the universe in different places and that's why they studied it because of God that's true now back to the pot and stove the water's boiling because my wife wants a cup of tea let me tell you something about you let me tell you something about you whether you forget this or not science can never ever they say science answers everything it can never tell you why you're here science cannot tell you what your purpose is Science cannot answer any of those questions. See, my wife says, why is that water boiling? Because my wife wants a cup of tea. Why are you here? Because God wanted you, okay? Revelation 4.11, you were created because of God's will. God wanted you. Have you ever thought about that? That gives you honor, dignity. It gives you a reason for being. Even if you've never thought that before, it gives you reason and purpose. That you're not an accident. You're not ooze coming out of the ocean. Evolving. No, God wanted you here. And maybe it's the first time you've ever thought of it that way. Because God wanted you. Just like my wife wants that cup of tea. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, okay, that's fine. But I want to give you an opportunity to, to, to do that if you so choose. I've just laid out evidence. It's your choice. And this is just the beginning of the series. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, but you'd like to begin your walk with Jesus because He created you, He wants you, He's, He's got your purpose lined up for you. And He died on the cross for you. And He shed His blood. And He laid down His life. He chose Himself to die so you could live. That's what love does. I deny myself for the sake of others as I said at the very beginning or maybe you backslid maybe you walked away maybe you got skeptical whatever you got mad at God because God didn't do what 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 and somebody died or this didn't happen and you lost this or that you know and you said there, there is no God and I like to use the illustration that that's like as a parent if, you, if your kid asks you for something you say nope you can't have that I'm not going to do that and your kid says you don't exist then that's ridiculous right because you know you exist. Just because your kid says you don't exist doesn't mean you don't exist. And I know you, maybe you got hurt. I don't know what it is. But 
Every one of us has experienced letdown. Every one of us has. But I'm just asking you to get past that hump and think about the, what, what's at stake here, your eternity. That there is a God. There was this moment in time it all began. And this God came down, we'll see next week, and visited earth for you and for me. And he died on the cross and he carried our sins. And he said no to himself and went to a cross. Just as I have loved you, just as I have loved you. We're to love others. He did this. And if you back said it's time to come back. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, it's maybe it's time to do it now. Do it now. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Whether you're here in person, whether you're watching me online, or if you're going to see this a month or a year from now, whatever it may be. So with that said, I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, please. If you would, please. Now I'm going to say a prayer. This is a simple prayer. The prayer, the words mean nothing unless you put your faith in Jesus as you say them. Now when I say put your faith in Him, I mean you're going to trust Him with your life now. You're going to trust that He's God in the flesh. He is the Creator. That He is the Savior come to earth, the God-man, to die for you and I to carry our sins. He's the one that was buried, rose from the dead to give you new life. Transformed living. And all this proved his love to you and me that he loves us. Greater love hath no one than this than he laid down his life for his friend. He laid down his rights for the sake of others, for the sake of you, for the sake of me. So if you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life, I'm going to say this prayer now. We're all going to repeat it in this room. Every one of us, please. At home, if that's you, repeat it. Later on down the road, you watch this online, wherever you watch it, on YouTube, wherever, you repeat it. So here we go. Put your faith in Jesus. Here we go. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Thank you for loving me enough to save me. I believe that you are the Savior, Messiah, and God. I choose today to trust you with my entire life. I'm yours. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, for everyone who said that prayer for the first time or rededicated their life, you now have the Spirit of God flowing through your veins. The Word of God will come alive to you now. I tell you, stick in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, talk to somebody afterwards. We have prayer partners. They'll get your Bible. Stick in the New Testament for about, a, about two years and learn about this Jesus. Learn about this Jesus who loves you. Who loves you. And focus on all the grace stuff and all the mercy and all the forgiveness as you learn first about Him. You're not perfect and you're not going to be on this side of the grave. You're going to stumble, you're going to fall, but you get back up because God forgives. And you keep going. He's a good, healthy Father in heaven who loves you and me in spite of you and me. But I thank God for you that you have put your faith in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. 
you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.